Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. You know, we always say the Democrats are the big spenders. We brought down the deficit. So when you send it, it's declassified. We, I declassified everything. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. 46 days to the midterm. We need to be crystal clear about what we're, what's on the ballot. It's their plan, but they have no plan to fix all the problems they create. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. In one week, lawmakers are either going to be heading home to gear up for the midterms or they are going to be stuck in D.C. scrambling to keep the government open. Which option is more plausible? What needs to be done to get lawmakers to an agreement? We're going to get answers today from Massachusetts Democrat Congressman Jake Auchincloss and Bloomberg government's budget guru Jack Fitzpatrick. Plus, we review what Republicans will be doing if they win the House in this November and how it could help them or harm them in the midterms. I'm Emily Wilkins in today for Joe Matthew. You know, we got to just take a minute, take a breath. It is Friday afternoon. And there has been a lot going on in D.C. right now. We kind of thought that September might be a bit of a quiet month. No, that is absolutely not happening. Democrats, they know they could lose the House or the Senate or both come November. So they're trying to get their remaining priorities done. Just this week, we saw the House pass election legislation reforming that electoral count process, you know, the one that got interrupted on January 6th by the rioters outside the Capitol, trying to make sure that that process is a little bit more secure in the future. The House also passed a bill giving additional funding to smaller police departments, really trying to combat that whole defund the police narrative, as well as a number of public safety bills. And next week, uh, lawmakers might actually take up legislation uh, that could ban lawmakers from trading stocks. So a lot going on while, of course, they are ramping up for the midterms. The House only has three more legislative days until they're supposed to be out, out through all of October, out until the election. To catch up with all of this, I spoke with Congressman Jake Austin today, and I began by asking him how likely a shutdown was. Unlikely. I have confidence that we're going to be able to pass a continuing resolution to fund the government until at least a lame duck session of Congress. And if there are breakdowns, I'm equally confident that it's going to be coming from the House Freedom Caucus on the on the GOP side. They've already been telling their leadership that they don't want any deal. And that's the kind of irresponsible rhetoric that Americans could expect if Kevin McCarthy was going to hold the gavel next term. It just puts into clear focus what it could look like to have extremist control of the House of Representatives next term. 
And I definitely want to talk about that in a minute, because I know Republicans are actually rolling out their their potential agenda today. But before I get there, I, I do want to just stick on this conversation about this continuing to fund the government, because there could be a couple additional things that are added to that package. I know one of them is aid for Ukraine. Uh, they want more of that added into this continuing resolution. You served in the Marines. Uh, you were in Afghanistan. Uh, so you know a lot about the military and sort of how important aid is needed in these situations. Uh, how critical is it that you, aid for Ukraine is in this overall funding package? Absolutely essential. I'm in full support of this roughly $12 billion request from the president to provide further military and economic support for the Ukrainians. It's important for us to zoom out and just put into context what's happening right now in Ukraine. President Biden's leadership has made clear to the world that the United States is going to work to uphold the post-war rules-based order that has spread peace and prosperity to ever more people. And he has kept NATO hanging together along with our East Asian allies during a tremendously challenging six-month strength uh, stretch. Most importantly, though, of course, has been the will and the resolve and the fighting spirit of the Ukrainian people themselves under the terrific leadership of President Zelensky. Uh, they are winning right now that war. They have rolled up the northern flank of the Russian forces in Ukraine. They are proceeding in grinding progress in southern Ukraine. And Vladimir Putin is back on his heels. Yes, certainly. Uh, we, we've definitely seen uh, Ukraine really push back, and, and we've seen how Putin has responded to that. Um, moving on a little bit from the continuing resolution, I also wanted to make sure that we touched on a potential bill to go next week that would ban lawmakers from trading stocks. This has kind of been a, a very contentious topic in the last year or so. How important is this bill to be voted on before the midterm, since you guys only have three days left? The most important thing is that we pass it, period. I'm a co-sponsor of this legislation. Members of Congress should not be trading stocks at a time when Americans' trust in federal institutions is lower than it's ever been in my lifetime. This is a concrete measure that we can take to improve Americans' confidence in their lawmakers. And do you have any sense if this is actually going to be going to the floor next week? I, I know that House leaders were saying maybe yesterday. I'm certainly, you know, advocating that it gets there, but there's always zigs and zags. Uh, but the, the critical thing is that we pass it, whether it's for the midterms, whether it's the lame duck session. We've got the votes to do it. Let's get this to the floor and let's make this the law of the land. I know that the Republicans are also they're in Pittsburgh today. They're rolling out their priorities for what they would do if they control the House in 2023. I know also Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, for, of course, headed with the Democratic uh, House Democrats, was in Pittsburgh. And he was talking about what Democrats have done, but less about what they will do. Do Democrats need to have more of a forward facing message for what they would do if they do hold out onto the House next year? Democrats message is that we are legislating for the people and for progress. And we have demonstrated that in the 117th Congress. Came into office facing worst pandemics uh, since World War I, worst crisis in our democracy since the Civil War, most complicated economy since World War II. And since then, our economy has grown faster than China's for the first time in my lifetime. And we have put the pandemic in the rearview mirror. Uh, and we are holding Trump and his cronies to account uh, both in Congress and through the legal system. We are healing this country and this economy, and we have done so partly with generational investments in infrastructure, in science and engineering, in domestic manufacturing, and in lowering health care costs. 
Sure, Americans... but that, that's a lot of things, if you don't mind my interrupting. I mean, that's a lot of things that Democrats have already done this year. You guys have passed a ton of bills. I mean, is this a matter of do Democrats just need to sort of hit home to Americans all the things that they've done? Do the American people still not recognize that yet? Or do Democrats need to be talking about what they would do if they continue to hold the House next year? Results matter even more than rhetoric. Right now, the GOP has rhetoric. The GOP has rhetoric about criminalizing Uh, abortion at the federal level. We've seen that with Lindsey Graham's bill that basically makes it so that women have to consult uh, (laughs) Lindsey Graham as well as their physician to make decisions about their own reproductive care. Uh, The GOP has rhetoric about election denial. The GOP has rhetoric about arming teachers. The GOP has no plan. The Democrats have passed policy in the 117th Congress to meaningfully improve this country and Americans' lives. And we are going to continue to work to lower health care costs and to build our infrastructure and our domestic manufacturing base uh, if Americans re-entrust us with the gavel in the, in the 118th. Do you think most of your, of your constituents understand everything that Democrats have been able to accomplish? Because I know that I've spoken to some folks when I've been on the campaign trail who weren't even aware that the Congress passed the infrastructure bill, let alone all of the other stuff that you've done in recent months. There's no question that it's, it is always hard to communicate in an ever noisier environment, right? The, the, the media landscape is fractured. People are consuming news in ever more formats and in ever more sources of media. And so it is. It's hard to communicate what the results have been. At the end of the day, though, people do feel their pocketbook and they do feel the decisions they're making at the kitchen table. And that's where I think Democrats have to continue to deliver, particularly, I want to say, on health care costs. We just passed legislation for any Medicare beneficiary. They're not going to pay more than $35 a month for their insulin. They're not going to pay more than $2,000 a year for their prescription drugs. That is impactful directly to uh, people's day-in, day-out budgeting. You don't have to see that on a Facebook page. You feel that at the kitchen table. Mm -hmm. We're going to continue to work on results like that. I also wanted to ask, Congressman, about something that's a little bit closer to, to your home. I know Martha's Vineyard isn't in your district, but you're nearby. And of course, it's been in the news a lot this past week after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis flew uh, planefuls of migrants to the island. He was trying to make a point, of course, about immigration. And there's been a lot of discussion over about what DeSantis and others are doing. I want to shift the conversation just a little bit. The New York Times has reporting that for the first time, the arrest of immigrants at the southwest border has exceeded two million. Does Congress need to be responding to this increase of immigrants coming to our southwest border? Yes. And we've been trying to for 20 years. And there has never been since the first uh, excuse me, since George W. Bush's first term, a good faith Republican response. We are are willing to pass comprehensive immigration reform that creates a pathway to citizenship for those who have built lives in this country, who are contributing to the economy right now, and who don't have documentation that allows them to feel safe and secure in their own communities, as well as putting more uh, infrastructure and personnel resources at the border, because we need a secure border, and investing in the triangle countries where poverty and crime are driving an exodus. We know what to do. And through his executive actions, President Biden is doing as much of it as he can. Ultimately, this does require Congress to act. Democrats have put forward legislation term after term after term. And the GOP Freedom Caucus, their right wing, never wants to do it. And they don't want to do it because, frankly, it's easier for them to campaign on this issue than it is to govern on this issue. 
That was Congressman Jake Auchincloss. Joined me a little bit earlier today, a Democrat from Massachusetts, uh, very much in the mix right now with what is going on in Congress and, and making the case there that Democrats do still have a ways to go in letting voters know what they have done in D.C. But Congressman, of course, was confident that if Democrats can just focus on that message, on what they delivered, they'll have a better shot of winning this November. Republicans are taking a different tack. They've been the minority, so they can't point to a lot of things they've accomplished, but they did roll out a plan this year for what they will be doing next year. And we're going to dig into that a little bit later in the show. But first, we got to let you know how to watch that big shutdown showdown next week. And we'll be assembling the panel. There's been so much in the headlines about immigrants being bused to cities through the U.S. These are real people, though. There's real policy behind it. We're going to do a deep dive into that one next. I'm Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Several elections, Republicans have successfully made immigration a key issue, and they are doing so again this year with the midterms, and particularly in the last few weeks. This has been a giant topic of discussion because we've seen the busloads of immigrants and plane loads of immigrants heading to cities like New York City, D.C., Martha's Vineyard, and the result is that immigration has really come into the national spotlight again. California Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, uh, has called for a federal investigation into whether his Republicans' counterparts have violated the law. He spoke with Bloomberg's David Weston earlier this week. What the hell's happened to the Republican Party that are othering and these poor victims that are legally seeking asylum and then calling them aliens and using them as pawns? I mean, it's really it's just a disgrace. But I get it because we haven't owned up as a country in the past, today, and it doesn't even appear tomorrow. There's a willingness to have the conversation we need to have. 
So let's go ahead and have that conversation. I know there's been a lot of discussion this week about the morality behind uh, using immigrants as sort of part of the, this political showmanship about whether this is a valid concern or not. But I did want to actually dig into a little bit of the actual issue. And to do that, bringing in our panel, uh, Bloomberg contributors, Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno and Rick Davis. Thank you both so much for taking the time and, and joining me today. And I just wanted to start off by referencing um, what I a bit of what I did with, with Congressman uh, Auchincloss, that we are seeing an influx in immigrants coming to the border. Is there a sense of, of what is leading to that right now? Well, I think obviously one of the things that's driving um, uh, so much activity on the border is economic opportunity. Uh, these people are all coming, immigrating from uh, economies around the region that have been you know, really hard hit by the pandemic. Uh, and for the lack of economic, uh, economic opportunity being created by the leadership and the governance of their countries. And so they're voting with their feet. They're getting up and they're moving and they're going to the place that, regardless of how you look at it, is a better potential economic opportunity for them and their families than they have at home. That usually is one of the, the principal drivers. And so uh, the fact that our economy is surviving uh, post-COVID period and the even the inflationary pressures that it's under, uh, uh, frankly, don't compare to what's happening in other parts of the world, uh, especially in our own region, where some of the inflation rates are, you know, approaching 100 percent in some countries south of our border. Um, you know, this is this is maybe their one shot at, at creating an opportunity for their families. Absolutely. And Jeannie, I know that uh, Congressman Alkenclaus said that Democrats do need to address the increasing number of immigrants that we are seeing at the southern border. It seems like both Republicans and Democrats think this is an issue. Why at this point have we seen so little done legislatively to address uh, immigration through the southern border? I, I thought you had a really good conversation uh, with the congressman, and I thought he laid it out beautifully. Um, one of the aspects that the Democrats have talked about has been this investment in the triangle countries where you're seeing, as, as Rick was just talking about, issues of the economy, issues of crime, quite frankly, corruption and poverty. All are driving these massive waves of immigration. And you're absolutely right. The numbers are over, you know, well over what we've seen in the past. But we have to think back that this has been a problem, to your point, for many, many decades. We've seen several attempts to address it. And everybody agrees it's a problem. Donald Trump campaigned on it. George W. Bush campaigned on it. Uh, Barack Obama campaigned on it. The problem has been getting Congress to come together and agree on what would be a solid you know, a way to approach it. And the politics of this right now are that it benefits Republicans to talk about it in a midterm year. Um, you know, the latest NBC News poll, it's astounding numbers. The Republicans, 56% of Americans say that they are the best at dealing with border security. That's what closing in on six out of 10 Americans. That's the best issue they have. And fourth is dealing with immigration more broadly. So it makes sense for them to talk about it. And Democrats have to come up with an answer for that and to show that they have a policy. They've not been able to do that in recent history. Rick, if the American people trust Republicans more when it comes to handling immigration, is there a chance then we, we, if we see Republicans take the House, potentially take the Senate, that they might actually start working on immigration legislation that could potentially actually be signed into law by Biden? Or is that just too much to expect for, for the current level of partisanship we have in D.C.? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, look, the the reality, as Jeannie said, is that there have been a lot of people, including Republicans like George W. Bush and John McCain, who had comprehensive immigration proposals and couldn't get them, couldn't get enough support within their own party to pass them. And so the likelihood uh, that a Congress potentially run by uh, Kevin McCarthy would be able to generate a comprehensive immigration plan that would accommodate all the challenges that we have, not just the border, but the over 11 million um, uh, illegal immigrants that occupy space in our economy, in our schools, in our churches, in our in our in our healthcare facilities. Uh, uh, what do we do with them today? Uh, the dreamers and 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 correcting some of the legislative problems associated with that. Uh, I, I don't see a Republican initiative. It certainly wasn't in Kevin McCarthy's plan for his commitment to America today. Uh, I think the only talking point we have is we need to close the border. And the reality is uh, we did that under Donald Trump, and it did not uh, significantly stem the flow of, of immigration in the United States. And we still need guest workers. We still need the kind of um, uh, labor force uh, that uh, immigration can produce for us. So uh, I, I, I unfortunately don't see the, 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 the potential for a real solution to this in the near term. Well, Rick, uh, Rick, Jeannie, thank you guys both so much. We'll, we'll convene a little bit later. But first, we're going to go back to talking about the critical role of funding the government. Jack Fitzpatrick is going to be joining us, walking us through what to be watching next week and whether energy permitting reform will get enough votes to become law. This is Bloomberg. Well, if you are a Sound On regular listener, you know him as your favorite guest host. If you are an avid follower of federal spending, you know him as the author of Bloomberg Government's Budget Briefing. And if you have never heard of Jack Fitzpatrick, I am so sorry. We're going to fix that right now. Jack Fitzpatrick joins us in the D.C. studio. Hey, Jack, happy Friday. Happy Friday. I only have one job right now, and it is to answer your questions about the continuing resolution coming and, up. And I'm sure you are going to do a fabulous job yes. at it. Really, there, there are very few people I think in D.C. who follow this process as closely <laughs> as Jack does. So, Jack, just give us the, the basic overview right now. Where do we stand in terms of the getting the government funded by next Friday, September 30th? I don't think there's going to be a, a shutdown, but they are going to do this pretty last minute, it seems. Uh, keep in mind, Rosh Hashanah is coming up, so the procedural vote that they have to have in the Senate is going to be late Tuesday. So between a holiday at the beginning of next week, as well as the debate over whether to attach Joe Manchin's energy permitting bill to this stopgap. It seems that the Senate is taking their time. They are going to get around to this Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday-ish next week and then send it to the House. And the House is going to have to act as fast as possible and hopefully nothing goes very, very wrong. When they do this last minute, there's always the chance that, you know, they rely on unanimous consent for a quick vote in the Senate. If, If Rand Paul or somebody individually wants to shut the government down, they would probably be able to. But I haven't heard of anybody saying, you know, threatening a shutdown. And it sounds like they're going to get moving, but it is going to be a last minute kind of series of procedures in both chambers. So it sounds like Rand Paul might stand down this time, allow everyone to actually get the well, government funded. <laughs> we we never know for sure. It could, you know, I say Rand Paul because he often demands an amendment vote on this or that in exchange for allowing a quick vote in the Senate. There was a brief shutdown or a brief lapse of appropriations a few years ago solely because of him, but it could be anybody. So we 
will have to see last minute, does anybody raise their hand and say, actually, I object to doing this quickly because I want a vote on, uh, you know, a, a holiday named after myself or whatever you want. That's the way the Senate works is we are at the point where one person could hold it up and shut the government down if they wanted to. But again, no one has threatened that. So it's not looking like we're in disaster mode here. So let's get back to talking because you mentioned this. Senator Joe Manchin's bill to expedite the energy permitting process. Uh, Majority leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, is on board with it. Nancy Pelosi, speaker in the House, has said she supports the measure. So are we all clear? Are we all good? What's happening with that? No, I think it, it seems they are leaning away from actually getting this done. They need 60 votes in the Senate. Uh, and Senate Republicans appear to be pretty opposed. Now, he got Shelley Moore Capito on board, which is important because she had provided the alternate bill and said, here's the Republican bill on energy permitting. And she ultimately said, you know what, Mansions is close enough. I like this. I'm going to support it. But we had already heard from Mitch McConnell uh, and other people close to leadership. I've talked to Richard Shelby, the top appropriator who negotiates these funding bills uh, in the Senate uh, a number of times, and they are pretty opposed. Uh, So if they're going to need at least 10 Republicans, and Manchin himself has said probably more like 20 because there is some Democratic opposition, then we need to hear Republicans speaking up and saying, yes, I support this. And so far, it's only one. It's uh, Senator Capito. So uh, they may have a failed vote, which makes this all more last minute, and then they pull it out. Uh, It's it's not destined to fail, but we have not seen the support uh, crystallize yet for Manchin's bill. Okay, so energy permitting on the rocks. But there are a couple other things that could be going with this bill, right? Yeah, I think the one sure thing is the Ukraine bill. President Biden requested about $12 billion in aid for Ukraine. Uh, I've talked to a handful of people who are are close in the negotiations on this kind of issue who have said it will be at least that number. Uh, This is one of the few areas where there's so much bipartisan support for a certain issue that they may actually give the president more money than he requested to send to Ukraine, Uh, especially on the defense side. he, He requested a combination of military aid and some state and U.S. aid funds. Uh, Definitely a lot of support for defense aid to Ukraine. Uh, Other things have fallen off the table. He asked for COVID funds. That appears very clear that it's not going on there. Uh, There was a request for disaster aid. We thought that could happen because, you know, some of that would go to eastern Kentucky, Mitch McConnell's home state. They had very bad flooding. Sounds like they're going to wait until December to address that. FEMA has a pretty good amount of money now. Uh, but the Ukraine one is uh, really a case study in, yes, lawmakers can agree on things in a bipartisan way sometimes. So that's going on there. So is this it for COVID funding then? No more COVID funding from the government? It raises really big questions about how we switch from emergency pandemic mode to endemic virus mode. Um, there, you know, The government is not entirely hands-off on on responding to the pandemic. They're doing things like launching ARPA-H. It's a number. It would take a whole book to tell you everything the government is still doing regarding COVID, but the support is not there anymore for emergency funding, even for vaccines, therapeutics. If that were to happen, the Republicans would force a conversation about pulling money back, probably from state and local governments, potentially, Really, to be honest, they haven't even gotten into the weeds of this because there's just so much room between Biden and the Senate Republicans who have said uh, they don't like his approach on, on COVID funding requests. 
We keep reminding our listeners that this is just a temporary bill to fund the government. Usually right. these things go till about mid-December. I think you've reported around yeah. December 16th. Okay, that's getting really close to Christmas. It is also getting very close to my birthday, which is on December oh. 18th. Um, are, are, are we gonna? Are, are they going to have some sort of agreement here, or is Congress going to ruin my birthday and Christmas in one fell swoop? It could be difficult. Uh, yes, the, the date I've heard the most is December 16th. A lot of the time, the functional deadline for them to fund the government and do a big bill on that kind of thing is right before Christmas. So it'll be a hectic time. A lot of conservatives are a, a no and want to kick this into next year, but there, there still is some will to get a, a real funding deal in December. Congress is just keeping up with the drama, keeping up with the suspense. Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg Government's Budget Girl, thank you so much for joining us. Coming up next, we reassemble the panel. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. This is Emily Wilkins. I'm filling in today for Joe. In 1994, there was the contract with America. In 2002, we have the commitment to America. House Republicans, again, rolling out their plan for how they would govern in a potential Republican majority next year. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who soon could be Speaker Kevin McCarthy if, if everything goes his way, traveled to the suburbs of Pittsburgh today to make his pitch. They control the House, the Senate, the White House. They control the committees. They control the agencies. It's their plan. But they have no plan to fix all the problems they created. Contrasting there, Democrats who currently control the government with, of course, uh, his own plan that he, that he and other Republicans have been working on now really for more than a year. Uh, the plan's got about four broad top lines to it, but Republicans say there are many, many more details underneath that they are plenty of bills that they're ready to go. Uh, to discuss this a little bit more, we're going to reassemble that panel. Jeannie Sheehan, Zeno, and Rick Davis. Uh, Rick, I feel like every couple years when you see the minority get ready to go into the majority, you have these plans roll out. How effective are they really? 
Well, you know, most of the time the party out of power, the Republicans in this case in both Senate and House, uh, uh, they see their job as stopping bad things from happening. And so most notably, Mitch McConnell sort of talks about that a lot. His job is to not allow the Biden administration or the Obama administration in that case, um, you know, get their agenda through. Uh, it's always hard to campaign on the negative. And so especially like in the House of Representatives where there is an expectation that there could be a good uh, outcome for Republicans to t- take control, they feel the need, uh, and probably rightly so, to produce an agenda that they can go out and say, if we're elected, these are the things that we're going to do. This is what we're going to stand for. It helps inoculate the voters to the Democratic um, attack that usually comes and has been coming that says, oh, they see, they don't really stand for anything. They're just the party and no. So this gives them uh, a little bit more impetus, more, uh, you know, getting on the balls of their feet for the last, you know, 60 days of the campaign. And um, and so this, as you say, Emily, pretty typical, right according to script. Yeah, and they even had a former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, of course, the architect behind uh, the 1994 contract with America, come speak with Republicans yesterday. He has been involved in the process. I actually did get to briefly speak with uh, former Speaker Gingrich yesterday, and and I asked him kind of, you know, is it better for Republicans to campaign on what they are going to do or to really contrast themselves with Biden? And he said for independents in particular, which of course Republicans need to win, uh, that this uh, plan that they have rollout is going to be one of the things that really resounds with those types of voters. Uh, But Jeannie, I want to turn to you for a minute here because we've already seen Democrats begin to attack this plan and attack things that Republicans are are proposing. Uh, How might we see Democrats try and use this plan to their advantage? Well, yeah, and it's like back to the future. And I was so fascinated to hear your conversation with Newt Gingrich yesterday. And I was struck by how positive he was about this. Um, Not that I'm surprised, but he seemed to suggest it may even be more effective than his contract with America. Yeah, he called it more sophisticated. Yeah, I I thought that was, you know, just a stunning revelation. But, um, you know, I think we're starting to hear, as you mentioned, um, how the president, how Democrats are going to be responding to this. You know, Joe Biden is calling it a series of policy goals with little or no detail. Um, You know, he's talking about, you know, the Republicans, as he keeps saying, as MAGA Republicans. And he's trying to focus on things like the fact that they don't mention specifically Medicare. They don't mention Social Security. Um, You know, the the idea that they want to, uh, you know, uh, sort of follow this path of taking those away from from middle America and from uh, people who need them. And we we heard a little bit of this in in, uh, the Senator Scott's plan. So, you know, they keep hearkening back to that. I think he's going to use it in that way. These are really talking points for the Republicans. My big question is, is, you know, if we see Kevin McCarthy become speaker, is he going to have an easier time keeping this very raucous Republican caucus together than, say, John Boehner or Paul Ryan or, or even Dennis Hastert, who had a really tough time doing that? You know, Jeannie, you bring up such a good point there, because one of the things that Kevin McCarthy really did for this is that he created all of these task forces to come up with the plan. And he made sure that members across the conservative ideological spectrum were on each of those caucuses. So folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene got input, more moderate members of the Republican caucus got input into this overall plan. Uh, Rick, you, you really know the Republican Party well. So, so I want to ask you, how much of a problem is a possible future? 
future Speaker Kevin McCarthy going to have with the different fractions of, of his conference? Oh, I, it, it, it comes just like, you know, spring comes. Uh, it's, it, it's always going to be a problem around the big institutional things like, um, you know, uh, the budget, just what we were talking about a minute ago as far as passing the annual budget, the debt ceiling. You know, there's always a big fight, especially with the uh, conservative elements uh, within the Freedom Caucus on the debt ceiling. So these big institutional things are very much opposed by the sort of ultra right wing of the Republican House Caucus. And, and yet they're sort of mandatory requirements for leadership, right? I mean, that's what the American people expect you to do is the minimum basic uh, uh, level of competence is to make sure the government is funded and, uh, and that it continues to run. So this is where this, you always run into trouble uh, with uh, the groups like the Freedom Caucus. And, and I have absolute confidence that the 30 members they have now will probably increase uh, in number and make mm-hmm. – make that kind of decision-making for the leadership of the House even more complicated. Absolutely. I mean, we, we definitely have seen a number of candidates who seem like prime prime individuals to be joining uh, that caucus if they win their elections in November. Uh, one thing that also strikes me is that McCarthy is really pitching this plan. One of the big factors, of course, is fighting inflation. But economists are continuing to warn that we're headed toward a recession. The market has had a brutal week. Stocks continue to fall today. Rick, is the Republican plan, d- does it address it all or could it work at all if we are in a recession when Republicans potentially take power? Well, I think some of the elements that uh, Kevin McCarthy and the commitment for America laid out today, especially on government funding and trying to reduce deficits, uh, do have a, a, a positive impact on uh, the potential uh, management through a recession. So, uh, but like when he then talks about things like fighting crime, that sounds like a spending program, right? And when you talk about border security, it sounds like money's going to go into that. So the, that's going to be the trick, right, is to how to balance those demands. But again, you know, that's the classic debate between monetary and fiscal policy and how much, you know, is the monetary policy really going to drive that. And so you have Republicans uh, in Pittsburgh today uh, who are really kind of trying to draw a distinction now between themselves and their plan and Biden and his plan. And of course, this is a critique of what the president has done. But Biden was also cha- uh, talking in D.C. on Friday, and he responded to critics who have attacked his fiscal policies. Donald Trump and Republicans had no problem, had no problem enacting in his four years a $2 trillion tax cut that overwhelmingly benefited the top 1%, and they didn't pay for a penny of it, and it massively increased the federal deficit. Meanwhile, you know, we always say the Democrats are the big spenders. We brought down the deficit. Jeannie, I just want to get your take on this, because, you know, Democrats now, I think, are some of them are trying to position themselves as being more fiscally conservative. But at the same point, they've passed all these big spending bills. What, who's Biden trying to reach here with this message? Oh, I, you know, I think he's trying to hold Democrats and reach into those suburbs where those moderates are that are, you know, on the brink and, and everybody is sort of vying for their support if possible. It's a tough time for him to be making this case. And, you know, as you and Jack were talking about what's going to happen in Congress in the next few days or weeks in regards to the CR, right after that, 
um, right after, you know, the election, we're going to have the fight over the omnibus bill. And I think there's going to be a big fight there between the Republicans, particularly if they take over the House and or Senate and the president and the administration in terms of how much they're going to want to fund the government. And a lot of that is going to have to do with these issues of the economic impact of that and where we are vis-a-vis inflation, which most economists say is not going to be very good in mid to late November. Rick, I also wanted to get your thoughts on this, kind of flip the question. Can Republicans still hold claim that they are the party of being fiscally conservative when in the past some of the things that that they have approved, I'm thinking the 2017 tax policy, have wound up contributing to the deficit? Oh, yeah. No, it's a real challenge in the sense that uh, consecutive Republican administrations, George Bush's and Donald Trump's, were really big spenders. I mean, you know, uh, George Bush, uh, with uh, his massive increase in Medicare and Donald Trump, uh, uh, never saw uh, a program that he didn't want to throw money at to to solve. So uh, it's it's a bit uh, it's a bit uh, chaotic when it comes to having a consistent message. But nonetheless, it sounds like they're starting to get back on that horse. So we'll see if they can stay on it. Rick, Jeannie, thank you both so much for joining us today. That is Rick Davis, Jeannie Shianzano, two of our ace Bloomberg correspondents. If you missed any of the show or just want to hear our vo- beautiful voices again, you can listen to the Sound On podcast. I'm Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.